Okay, we are in Daniel chapter 11. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 11. And we just finished a whole section on prophecy. Powerful prophecy that has been fulfilled. And the last, the, the, uh, from about verse 22 or 21 to verse 35, it concerned Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who, had, who was a, a uh, type of Antichrist. So he was a, a prototype of, an anti, of the Antichrist. Big uh, uh, persecutor of, of uh, the Jews. But now, all of a sudden, in the end of verse 35 of Daniel chapter 11, the end of verse 35, it skips now to the last three and a half years of, of uh, uh, life on this earth as we know it. The last three and a half years before the return of Jesus. And so if you look at, at, at verse uh, 35 of, Matthew, of, of Daniel chapter 11, verse 35, it says, Some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time. That is the section that is referring to those who are going to suffer under, who, suffer, who, who suffered under Antiochus IV Epiphanes. This was written long before. This was written 300 or 400 years before Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And so this was a prophecy concerning what was going to happen. And then when it says, until the end of time, <clears throat> now it jumps forward to the last three and a half years of the tribulation. There's going to be a seven-year tribulation. The last three and a half years are going to be the severe tribulation upon the Jewish people. Then it says, because it is still to come at the appointed time. Now, verses, <clears throat> verses 1 through 35, 35a, we have precise history that matches up with all of those events. But now we have no history that matches up with the events. This is all future. This now jumps to what's going to happen with the Antichrist. <clears throat> Verse 36. Then the king, this is now speaking of the Antichrist. Then the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods. And he will prosper until the indignation is finished, for that which is decreed will be done. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women, nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above them all. But instead, he will honor a god of fortresses, a god whom his father did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones, and treasures. He will take action against the strongest of fortresses, with the help of a foreign god, he will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and will cause them to rule over the many and will parcel out land for a price. At the end time, the king of the south will collide with him and the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen and with many ships and he will enter countries overflowing them and pass through. He will also enter the beautiful land and many countries will fall. But these will be rescued out of his hand, Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. But he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver, and over the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians will follow at his heels. But rumors from the east, from the north, will disturb him, and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. 
and he will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and between the holy mountain, the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. So this is speaking of the time of the Antichrist. It's interesting that this is very specific in the book of Daniel. This is then also spoken about in two other passages of Scripture. It's spoken about in fairly good detail in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And while in Daniel we have a lot of, um, we, we have a lot of metaphors there and we have a lot of imagery occurring, we don't have that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 because Paul said, Paul realized that many of the people were confused. And what he wanted to do was to share with them a picture of what the end times were going to be like without the imagery. And, and uh, this is what Paul does in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or to be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if it was from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So in other words, there were people going around telling them that the Lord has already returned and He didn't take you with Him. It's already come. He says, I don't want you to be confused. Then he goes on in verse 3, he says, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end the appearance of his coming. That is the one who is coming, that, that, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs, false wonders, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of God, the, the love of the truth so as to be saved." For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. So if you look at this portion in 2 Thessalonians, he's speaking about the same thing. So he says, I don't want you to be confused. This can't come. First, we have to have this man of lawlessness. The scriptures talk about an abomination of desolation, which we're going to see in Daniel chapter 12. And it's spoken about again in Revelation, Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. Again in Revelation, he picks up with the imagery. This is what's going to occur. There is going to be the Antichrist is going to arise. He is going to make an alignment, an agreement with the Jewish people. But halfway through that period of, of uh, uh, three and a half years into that alignment... He is going to move into the temple and proclaim himself as God. A man proclaiming himself as God. There is going to be another abomination of desolations, meaning that he is going to offer a pig on the altar. That is exactly what the Antiochus Epiphany did. He offered a pig on the Jewish altar. So we know that the temple is going to be rebuilt. There is no temple there on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. 
There's a mosque there right now. There is not a temple. We know the temple is going to be rebuilt. It tells us in Revelation. That temple, after being rebuilt, three and a half years into the agreement time, there's going to be the abomination of just desolation. The Jews are going to split from the Antichrist, and that's going to bring great persecution of the Antichrist upon them for three and a half years. They're going to flee. We just read in Daniel that there is going to be a region, and it talks about that, the area of Ammon, the area of Edom. That area is current-day Jordan. And the Scriptures talk about how they will flee to the Jordan. They will flee into what's present-day Jordan, and there they'll be safe. The scriptures in Revelation that also talk about that, that present-day Jordan. They will flee, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 when he's talking about the end times. So you see all of this converging that's being said here. This is the sequence of what's going to happen. That's how we know the Lord is not returning today. You say, you can't know that. Oh, I know that very specifically. Because there's no temple there. There's no agreement there. There's not even a temple there. Now, What can come at any time is what's called the rapture. That can come at any time. There is no preconditions for the rapture to occur. That is a period when the people who know Jesus Christ will be taken. Those who died in Christ, those who died knowing Christ, meaning from the time that He was on earth till now, that have now died, they will precede us. They will go before us. They will be resurrected and go into the air. Those of us who know Him will go into the air. That's the rapture. Those who receive the Lord after the rapture are going to come in a resurrection that's going to occur, that is going to be the first resurrection. Those get get saved out of the tribulation period. And then there will be another rapture that will be of the lost. That's after another thousand years after the return of the Lord. Those who did not know the Lord will be resurrected and thrown into the lake of fire. You say, that's so harsh. Well, I didn't Write the book, all right? Take that up with somebody else if you have a problem with it. That's what it's written is going to happen. You say, how do you know all this? Because I read ahead, okay? Read ahead in Daniel, read in, uh, uh, ahead in Revelation. But that's what it talks about. So let's turn, back, let's turn back to Daniel chapter 11. And we'll look at it a little bit more specifically in Daniel chapter 11. And we'll, we'll, we'll try to take this a little bit more verse by verse So we can pick this apart. So now we're not talking about history. We're talking about the future. So this is something that should certainly concern us. And at some point, people are going to ask you about this. So you're going to want to try to remember what I'm talking about. It says the king in verse 36, this means the Antichrist will do as he pleases. He'll exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. He'll speak monstrous things against the god of gods. And he will prosper until the indignation is finished. So there will be a time that it's then going to end. For that which is decreed will be done. This underscores what I'm telling you, Daniel. It is decreed. It will be done. You can bank on it. It's going to occur. Nothing's going to change this. It's going to occur. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers. This tells us that the Antichrist is not going to be a Jew. It's going to be a Gentile. Because... Every reference to God in this portion is singular, except this reference. He's going to show no regard for the gods of his fathers, meaning that he's going to come from the Gentile race, and he's going to have no regard for the desire of women. 
This can either mean that he's going to have no interest in the physical desire for women or that he's going to totally disrespect women. So that he's going to put women in a subservient position. It can mean either, either one of those two. Nor will he show regard for any other God, for he will magnify himself above all of them. But instead he will honor the God of fortresses, a God whom his father did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones and treasures. So he's going to pour lots into building up war machines. And he's going to need this because he's going to take over the world. He will take action against the strongest of fortresses with the help of a foreign god. And we are told, we just read in 2 Thessalonians, this is according to the power of Satan. He is going to be empowered by Satan himself. It tells us in Revelation, it tells us that he himself will be killed. The Antichrist will be killed and then Satan will resurrect him and will cause many more to follow him. We read about this in Daniel chapter 7, where there was a horn that was, that was knocked off, that was killed, but then it will rise back and become the dominant horn. That is the Antichrist, again underscored, that the Antichrist will be killed, but he will be resurrected. talks about how the Antichrist, we read already in Daniel, the, the, that this horn that arises will rip out three horns, and then all the other horns will follow him. So there's going to be ten kings that are going to dominate the world. Three of them will oppose the Antichrist. He'll kill those three, and then the other seven will follow in lockstep with him. This is the pattern that we see. So I'm bringing in other portions of the Scripture to help you to understand what's going to happen. He will take action against the fortresses in verse 39 with the help of a foreign god. He will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and will cause them to rule over the many and will parcel out land for a price. In other words, those that choose to follow him, among the Jewish people, many will follow him. Those that choose to follow him, he will reward. This is just like we read above in, with Antiochus IV, Epiphany, where he, the Jews that aligned with him, he gave them, them great support. But there were many that, that, that didn't align with him either and fought against him. He says, it says in verse 40, At the end of time, the king of south will collide with him and the king of the north will storm against him. The king of the south being Egypt, the king of the north being Syria. These are two of the three kings that will oppose him. And with chariots and horsemen and ships. So he's talking about war machines are now going to come together and overflow them and pass through. He will enter the beautiful land and many countries will fall. So he's going to enter Jerusalem. He's going to enter Israel. That country will fall. And many countries will fall, but these will be rescued out of his hand. Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. This is the region that is now present-day Jordan, right across the Jordan River from Israel. You can stand on the Jordan River and you can look across the river, but you can't cross the river because it's Jordan over there and there's guys standing there with guns. You don't cross. And then there's Israelis standing on, on, on the western side. You don't cross from there to there unless you go through a checkpoint and show your documents. That's the dividing between the two countries. And, uh, and, and so he, he says, it says that th this area of land is going to be rescued. So we know from the book of Revelation, it expands upon this. And this is where those Jews that are going to rebel against the Antichrist in the, in the uh, last three and a half years of the tribulation, they're going to go. They're going to flee. 
the Jews will never leave Israel until halfway through the tribulation. That's when they will leave. They will depart. There they will be safe. There will be some haven for them. This is what it speaks about. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. And he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt, Libyans, Ethiopians who will follow after his, at his heels. So he will conquer all of Russia. Uh, all, I'm sorry, all of Africa. All of Ra- Africa will begin to follow him. But rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him. And he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. And he will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas. And the beautiful holy mountain between the seas is the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean and the holy mountain being Jerusalem. Right there he's going to pitch his tent. That's where he's going to set up his headquarters. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. That is the ultimate end when the Lord will return just with the word of his mouth he will smite him. That is what the scriptures are talking about here. Now let's turn over to Daniel chapter 12 because remember Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 are all one portion. This is all one revelation given to Daniel. Now in verse 1, Daniel 12, verse 1, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars of heaven. So we'll talk about that next time. Let's look look at at the top part. Remember what we said about Michael? Michael is the archangel. Michael is the angel whose job it is to oversee the protection of the Jewish people. Each nation has a protective uh, angel that is fighting spiritual battles for them. Michael is the one that is over the people. This is the second reference we now have. We already read one reference from Daniel chapter, chapter 10, where it talks about Michael being over the people of Israel. Now it says again, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, meaning the Jews. Michael is the protector of the Jews. He's fighting in the heavenly realms. He will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. So in other words, this is going to be the hardest time ever upon the Jewish people in the last three and a half years, the last half of the tribulation. And we know specifically it's three and a half years because it tells us in the book of Daniel it's three and a half years. It tells us in the book of Revelation it's three and a half years. They put it 1260 days. They put it 42 months. They put it three and a half years. They put it a time, times and half a time. You've got to be really shaken if you don't understand this is three and a half years. This period. And he says... He says uh, um, He says, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. uh, I'm sorry, he says, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. So we're told that two-thirds of the Jewish people will die in that period. Remember, during the Holocaust, which was absolutely horrific, where they built killing machines, facilities for killing millions of Jewish people, where they would put them in gas chambers and then roll them into the, the, these, these, uh, 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 into the kilns to just burn their bodies. Just systematically bring them in by the train car load. They killed one-third of the Jewish people on earth. It says in that time, 
two-thirds of them are going to die. So it is going to be a horrific time. And everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. So it talks about now something that's going to be written and recorded. It says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. The book of Revelation talks about there being two resurrections. One, the resurrection of those who are saved out of the tribulation. And, they are, and that's what this is talking about as well. And they are going to receive this everlasting life. A thousand years after that, all the ones who didn't follow the Lord are going to be raised up and they will, they will resurrect as well. Now, I want you to look in, in uh, uh, John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And let's see what Jesus had to say about the resurrection. So if you kind of doubt the resurrection, what you've got to do is, is, is there's a lot of things you've got to contend with Jesus about. You know, if you, if, if you don't want to accept the things of the resurrection, because Jesus certainly did. And, uh, and generally we accept that he knows more than us. So it says in, 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 in uh, John chapter 5, verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is. An hour is coming, Jesus said, and now is. An hour is coming, and now is, Jesus says, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Now, how can the dead hear the voice of the Son of God? I mean, they're laying in graves and their bodies might have totally decomposed. So worms just kind of ate them up. And the bones that were there are just inorganic materials and those are just, those are just gone into the ground and the trees have just sucked this up for nutrition. There's nothing left. Or maybe they got caught in a fire and they just got all burned up or they were cremated. It's just a bunch of CO2 and water. That's it. How can they hear? Or they died at sea and, and fish ate them. And they're all, the bodies don't exist. How do they hear? How do you do this? Jesus said, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those here shall live. For just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself. So Jesus speaks of a resurrection. Daniel speaks of a resurrection. It's not the first reference to resurrection in the Old Testament, but it's the most vivid. It's one of the most vivid resurrections when He talks about the dead are going to rise up, as we just read. Okay, so now I want to... Speak a little bit about science so we can do this. But this, this makes it interesting, doesn't it, Sean? I mean, this is what makes it interesting. And we have so much more ability to understand this today than people could 50 years ago. So what do we know that people 50 years ago didn't know? Well, we know a lot about information. So let me tell you, most scientists categorically agree that there is a difference between information and matter. Information and matter. This is matter. This is matter. Information is something that, that is not matter. It is distinct from matter. Now, 
I've written on this, so information can be encoded upon matter, but it is separate than matter, separate from matter. Most physicists would wholly agree with this, and computer scientists have studied this in detail, because it's a very important distinction. There's information and there's matter. So here I have a, a, a flash stick, all right? You know, 50 years ago, people never would have understood this, all right? So this flash stick has information on it, and then you have the flash stick itself. I can transfer this information to another flash drive, right? I can transfer that information and then take this thing and throw it in a fire. This now no longer exists. It's turned into CO2 and water, so it exists in a totally different form. All right, so I totally burn it up in some silicon oxide, all right? So that's what happens to it. But the information is still there. Now, if your computer gets stolen, I'll tell you, my computer, my computer has 30 years of me being a professor on that computer. All of my publications, all of my documents, everything. Now, I only have about 200 or so gigabytes because I don't have pictures. I mean, you guys will generate 200 gigabytes in a week because you've got movies. No, I have real information. <laughs> and just huge amounts of my mind and my thoughts have gone into this to generate that 200 gigabytes of information. That information has been stored in multiple forms. It's been stored in, in, in RAM, random access memory, when I initially type it. Then when I hit save, it would go into magnetic memory. And now on the newer computers, it goes into flash memory. Magnetic memory is, is, is you get these spin states that flip, and that re retains this binary information. But now flash memory is just char charge storage in a deep trench capacitor. That's where it's stored now, because flash memory is the thing that's used. And in 10 years, it won't be flash anymore. It's going to be re-RAM. It's going to be little filaments. It's, it's going to be a, a, a two-terminal-based memory. Each one of those storage systems is matter. It is a physical system. The information is distinct from it. So when I type on my computer, I could lose that computer, but the information is still there. So though I'd, I'd be sorry to have lost my computer, I got the information backed up. Not on these things, I got it backed up in the cloud. This is why we can really understand this. The information is in the cloud. Well, what does that mean? It means that it has gone through Wi-Fi and it's sitting in some server farm somewhere. So they might have these server farms offshore, off, off or they might have these server farms that, that just have huge flash drives. That's what it is. It's huge flash drives, huge, big things that store all the information that you guys type. I remember in 1999, we started a company called Molecular Electronics Corp. And, and uh, we were talking about, wouldn't it, if, if we can make this memory that we want to make, we could record every keystroke that everybody ever hits. Wow. And now everybody accepts the recording of every keystroke. Oh, that's blasé. I mean, of course you can record every keystroke. Everything is recorded now. You can record every keystroke that a person hits. So information is recorded. It is distinct from matter. Let me put it more plainly for all you smarty pants out there that are wondering about this. Seven years ago, seven years ago when you were like 12 years old, I was standing here teaching on Sunday mornings, all right? I was doing the same thing. I've been doing this quite a while here. All right, so seven years ago, I was standing right here. Was that the real gym tour? Or is the real gym tour standing here today? 
Which one is the real gym tour? Which one? Because did you know that that gym tour that was standing right here seven years ago, none of the molecules of him remain. None of them remain. We are in a constant state of flux. It's like taking a glass of water and dripping in water and it's overflowing, overflowing, overflowing. You can have brine. One of the, the simple calculations you do when you're learning calculus is you have brine, you have salt water. How much water do you have to drip in there before you've totally replaced out all the brine, all the salt has gone out? And you can calculate the amount. That's what our bodies are. You eat your molecules, these molecules are always changing. It'll rip out molecules, put in new ones. Atoms, it'll rip out atoms, put in new ones. None of that DNA that was there seven years ago in gym tour remains. Because different molecules within that DNA chain have been ripped out and replaced. So it's not the same DNA chain. You may have a similar molecule, but it's not the same atoms. It's not the same atoms. It might be... You might replace nitrogen with nitrogen, but you've replaced one nitrogen atom with another nitrogen atom. We are in a total change of flux. So the estimate is every seven years, there's not an existing molecule that had been in your body that remains. It's totally replaced. Do you get what I'm saying now? We are in a constant state of change. So which is it? If the matter is so utterly important, then why aren't we fixed? Don't change any molecule, because that's Jim Tour. If you change one molecule, he's not Jim Tour anymore, and we'll miss him. <laughs> because it's not in the matter. It's in the information. Do you see what I mean? It's in the information. Let's see what the scriptures say about this. Turn... <laughs> this is real. You, you think I'm joking with you, but this is real. So turn to chapter 1 of John. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Reading from verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. What is Word? Word is information. A Word is information. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Most physicists would agree that the primary is information, the matter is secondary. Although you can encode information upon matter, the information is distinct from matter. The information is primary. The matter is secondary. That's exactly what this says. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who? The Word. The information was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He says everything was information. Everything. It says, it, it, it says in, in, in John chapter 4, it says, it, um, in John chapter 4, verse 24, God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. He's not matter. He's a spirit. Now, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then when you look down at verse 14 of that same chapter, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus came... Flesh, he took on matter. God takes on matter. Do you see the distinction? Before the matter was there, before he took on flesh, the Word existed. Everything was made through the Word. He took on flesh. He took on matter. The information is primary. 
the matter came second. This is what I'm talking about. It's written, the information is recorded. If we have the ability to record every keystroke, if we have the ability, does not God have the ability? So when your loved one dies, their body may get cremated, is now CO2 in water. You say, how is that going to be a resurrection? He doesn't, because the information exists. It is recorded in the cloud. Not our cloud, but God's cloud. It's re- recorded with God. It really is. I'm telling you, 50 years ago, if you had talked about the recording of information, people would have said, what are you talking about? Certainly 75, because of the transistor, before the invention of the transistor, which was actually a big triangular thing, and that's why you draw transistors that way. Big thing. It was about that big, the first transistor. Before the, how do you record information? How do you do this? Well, they recorded it by punching holes in cards and stuff. Well, then before, how do you record information? Some way the information was recorded. The information is primary. Every keystroke. Did you know that if you encode in molecules, if you were just to encode in molecules, all the information in humankind. So in 18 milliliters of water, just 18 milliliters of water, you have a mole of water. In that, that's six times 10 to the 23rd molecules. All the transistors in the world, if you add them all up since the dawn of the silicon era, since the dawn of the silicon era, you add up all the transistors in the world, it's less than a couple of moles of transistors. All of them. All right? It's less than a couple of moles of transistors. So in other words, in a glass of water this big, this big, just a glass of water, you could contain, if you inscribed in each one of those water molecules a bit of information, you could have all the information of humankind that has ever been in anybody's brain, you could record it all in a volume this big. This is well known. Now, for us to access it is very hard. So, in other words, you say, God must have huge server farms. No way! He can encode in this in any way that He wants. But the information is primary. This is what I'm saying. Your loved one may have perished from this earth, but the information is recorded. Because Jesus said, by your words you shall be justified, by your words you shall be condemned. He will hold us accountable for all of our words. That's why, as believers, we say, Lord Jesus... I hide behind you. You are my Lord. You've died for my sins. That's good enough. Come on in. I mean, this is is what we have. That we are covered by His blood. The information is primary. The matter upon which it's inscribed can change. We can store it on this. We can store it in a few years. It's going to be stored upon uh, 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 RERAM. It's going to be stored in in, in little, little filaments. That's how it's going to be stored eventually. It used to be stored in in magnetics. And before that, it was stored in in little punches in a card. So how it's recorded, the matter is going to change. So when he calls us forth, he'll just reconstruct the body. You say, well, it's not the same body. It's the same body. Sure, it's different molecules, but you change all the time anyway. You're not the same person that you were yesterday. All right? You're not the same. You're constantly changing. The information is primary. The matter is secondary. So when he speaks of the resurrection... All the information's been recorded. It's all there. That's the thing of value to me in my computer, is the information. The computer, you know, computer's going to burn up someday. Computer's going to... It's the information. That I can just download upon another computer and start using it again. 
He will reconstruct a body just like he did the first time and then, boom, download of information. Back again. That's what's going to happen. We have much higher potential to understand this today than they did 50 years ago. Really? Because of what we understand with computer information. This is exactly what's going to happen. God's recorded everything. It's information is the primary thing. I am totally different than I was seven years ago. Totally, there's not a molecule you see on me that was here seven years ago. Totally different. But the information, that's the primary. That's what is retained. That's the beauty of the resurrection. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever seen resurrection explained that way before? Not too many people can do this, you know. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of the resurrection. You testified of it to Daniel. And you testified, uh, you testified of it through Jesus. That the dead in Christ were here. That those who were in the graves were hearing then and will hear the, the words of the Son of God. Lord, I thank you for that truth. Lord, I thank you for the truth of the resurrection. That every thought, every action, everything within us is retained. Lord, thank you for that truth. And thank you, Lord, for the truth of the resurrection that Jesus spoke about and testified of the truth of the resurrection. Lord, I pray for the, just the, the precious ones here that don't know you. Father, I pray that you draw them close to Jesus, who loves them and gave himself for them. Father, I pray that their hearts would be opened. And Father, for those that know you, Lord, I pray that you would comfort them and that when they lose a loved one, they would remember that there will be a resurrection and that all that information of that one, everything in their mind has been retained and it will be resurrected someday, joined with a body. Father, I pray that you do that in their lives to give them comfort. Father, bless these precious ones here, I pray. And Lord, as they'll be moving into to finals just at the end of this week and next week, Lord, I pray your grace to be upon them. Father, give them your strength, give them your grace, give them your recall, I pray. The glory of God be with them in the name of Jesus. Amen.